0: So, are we gonna are we gonna are we are we going on three, or is it three and then we go? <laughs> Murdoch.
1: All right, welcome to episode two of Attica Shrug, the podcast about uh, politics and culture that are in the news in the South this week. So first up, let's do quick introductions again. I'm Wes Cheek here in New Orleans, and we also have with us Chad Watson. It's
0: okay. I'm not going to adhere to the structure anyway. And
1: David Dykes. Hey there. So let me see what's going on with uh, you guys this week, Chad. What have you been up to this week?
0: I have been preparing kids to take the, star, the Algebra Star EOC end of course, exam, and... I have also been preparing kids to take the A P statistics exam.
1: I'm already so. bored of this conversation. <laughs>
0: yeah, me too. And we so are see. they. So are all of <laughs> yeah. them. So it's all four thousand students in my high school.
1: Are they all prepared? Yeah. Do you feel like they're ready to go?
0: Oh totally, yeah. They're all gonna mm-hmm. pass. That's it's good. Guaranteed. That's good to know. Their futures are secure. Futures are secure. They don't right. get shot.
1: Uh, what about you, David? How's your week been? Oh, not very interesting.
2: Uh, not compared to Chad's. Um, <laughs> my part of... Uh, I've been keeping up the end for Southern Culture, though. I uh, cook for my school on um, Fridays, all 4,000 students. And, you don't have 4, uh, Well, 40, which is almost 4,000. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, this week I made gumbo and... Uh, uh, so that was good. I'm teaching about Southern culture. And uh, my helper, Juan Carlos, said to me um, that next week he wants me to make those little pancitos again. And it took me a while to figure out he was talking about biscuits. So I've also brought both <laughs> biscuits and gumbo um, in a serious way to San Miguel. So that's good.
1: Uh, that's what, what, it, what ingredients do you put in gumbo in San Miguel?
2: Um, well, I made the sausage myself. Uh, I made a, um, an andouille and smoked it here, and then shrimp and chicken sausage, a crab. Um, the Trinity One only crab. The only crab. Ben <laughs> yeah. Miguel crab. Well, it, it might have just been a scorpion. I'm not sure. It was basically <laughs> crab shaped, and I found it. So, um, yeah, it added flavor. Down. Really good. It added you know, a little, um, uh, you know, pica.
1: Donkey a spice. A donkey.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what pica means. <laughs> okay. pika I thought pica
1: was when you ate clay because you, you had an iron deficiency. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm bringing that next. Next week, we're all <laughs> yeah, having clay for lunch it's on th- Friday.
1: The Appalachian <laughs> clay Next week, is. it's other culture. You're going to be <laughs> vitamin deficient and eat clay.
2: Uh, they do that. So actually, had- they sell dirt in the stores in little mm-hmm. packages. Not like every store, not at like the supermarket or anything, but sometimes the little stores actually uh, do that Appalachian thing of um, uh, selling clay that you want. Is it clean dirt? I don't know anything about it. I haven't tried any.
1: Oh. My, my granddad, who grew up in Dias, Arkansas, had a story about going to his friend's house, and his friend's dad kept asking him to go get some clean dirt out of the yard for him to brush his teeth with. <laughs> and he, could, he could never figure out how, how to find the clean dirt or why
2: or why his smile was orange <laughs> yeah.
1: and that grandfather grew up to be johnny cash <laughs>
0: really. um, and that's what it means to be from the south <laughs> yeah all of those all those
1: things so i had the most new orleans weekend possible i went to jazz fest on friday which I'm normally very resistant to, but it was really, really good. Uh, and Nas played with Soul Rebels, uh, so that, that was, I could spend the whole show talking about how good that was. And there's a lot of other great music all day. I saw like 15 minutes of the end of Harry Connick Jr.'s act, uh, which is kind of fun to see him in New Orleans. And then the next day, my neighbors uh, just decided to have a crawfish boil and stopped by and invited us, so I ended up eating about 35 pounds of crawfish the next day. Which was great, and then another one of my friends had brunch at his house this morning during the thunderstorms and tornadoes. So I had the full New Orleans weekend.
2: That's right. Bad weather, good no, music, yeah. good food.
1: Good, good food. Yeah, no seersucker involved. I didn't wear seersucker. Uh, yeah, but other than that, I did, I did the full New Orleans, New Orleans weekend. All right. So uh, let's. <clears throat> We have a bunch of stuff to get into this week. So last week we were kind of focusing on uh, podcast craze S-Town, which we might have to go back and talk some more about because I heard there was some further conversation on it. But today we're going to get through some stuff we meant to get through last week, Uh, namely what we didn't get to discuss was we say we're talking about the South and stuff that happens in the South, but we never defined what our borders are for the south here so i was wondering if we could maybe try to do that a little bit any thoughts
0: well i think that what the south is yeah yeah yeah
2: well i think it's going to be hard to talk about the south in terms of geography strictly geography because of all the border states because of um um Like Texas is all one state, but there's kind of a line down the middle of it if you want to draw that line or you could call all of Texas the Southwest or the South. Uh, There's old Confederate lines, but I don't think that that does a very good job of defining it either. West Virginia, of course, isn't the South in the Confederate sense at all. It's very much a rejection of that, but uh, it's definitely Southern culture too, so. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to do it, but I have a lot of great ideas about how we can't do it.
1: Well, let's get to those in a minute. But Chad, what, what were you going to say first?
0: Mine would be I would have thought Texas. I would have counted Texas out of the South until I have lived in Te- now that I've lived in Texas for a decade. And I would say I'm probably like East Texas is definitely part of this. Like East Texas seems like K- that's Cajun country, uh, Cajun country, and um, Rick Cajun country. Yeah, Rick Cajun Country, friend of the show, Rick Cajun. Rick Cajun,
1: everybody's favorite upstate New York high school teacher, Rick Cajun.
0: Um, yeah, and I would say it ends somewhere, somewhere around the middle of the state. It becomes the Southwest. I don't know, what it would be, um, and and even like into into Ohio. Uh, I think you know, up, it seems to have spread. You know, like you go to Lex. I spent a lot of time in Lexington. In college because my best friend went to University of Kentucky, and that is very much a there's a lot of northern things in Lexington and there are a lot of southern things in Lexington, but also you could say the same thing about Cincinnati like Cincinnati it seems to be like an amalgam of the north northern culture and southern culture and I've I don't know if I told this I told the story about my roommate in San Francisco who for years insisted that Ohio, the entire state of Ohio had nothing to do with the South. But then told me the story about them bringing out the Confederate flag at halftime of their football game because the and I was like, why did they bring out the Confederate flag? Oh, because our mascot was the rebels. <laughs> Ooh, the Dayton.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so maybe what we're finding out is that states are bad, bad borders for this, right? So. Uh, I'll put on my social scientist cap for a second and say, like, what what would it be that would stop southern culture from going across the bridge at Cincinnati? Right. If it's going to be in Kentucky, what's it stopping it from going to Cincinnati? Like people who commute every day, like kind of leave it at home in the garage or Kentucky isn't technically the south. that We go by Confederate states. Right. It's a border state. Right. But in in public conception, like it's kind of just shorthand for the south. Right. Kentucky is. Um, in a way that Texas isn't, right? yeah. With the,
2: uh, especially the Kentucky Derby and um, the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken, the Colonel, and all that stuff. Coal mining,
1: the holler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all bluegrass. of those things, and then also we yeah bluegrass. We conflate Appalachia and the South a lot, I think, because we can think of Appalachian culture going all the way like to Pittsburgh, right? In that well. area. Like Western Pennsylvania, so that's not definitely not the South, but it's Appalachian culture. So, you know, I don't know. And so, also, South Florida is part of the South, but is Miami a Southern city? Um, Is Jacksonville, which is named after Andrew Jackson and is next to the Georgia border, is it a Southern city? I don't, I don't know. So, David, what were you thinking about ways to not things that we couldn't call the South? You're saying.
2: Well, you know, it's certainly not just the states that seceded during the Civil War, or even just the states that got stars on the flag, which was a couple extras, I think. I think there was one for Missouri and one for Kentucky. Um,
1: Bonus Missouri.
2: Yep. And um, it's not... um, um, I mean, I don't know. I think also that the idea of the South that we're arguing against... A lot of that is um, based on the idea that the South includes mostly whiteness, but the, yeah, South is, the South as I understand the South and as I've experienced the South is very much a mix-up culture with a lot of African-American culture, a lot of uh, white Southern cultures, a lot of Hispanic uh, people who have come in later but are uh, very much a part of the mix now.
1: Well, I would even extend that growing up on the Gulf Coast to including a lot of Southeast Asian culture, right? Uh, definitely yeah. where you are in Houston, Chad, and where I was in Florida and where you were in New Orleans, David, like we have uh, a lot of Vietnamese people mm-hmm. who yes. who immigrated before I was born. So to me, they've always been kind of part of Gulf Coast culture, at least, um, it seems to me. Yeah. So that that problematizes it. And I even think, like, I think a lot in terms of music, and we start thinking about, like, what kind of music do we put in there, and you listen to, like Chad mentioned, bluegrass music from Kentucky. I think we kind of think of that as part of the South, right? Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, and,
0: and all, all in there. So, I don't know, I think it gets, like jazz music, you know, all the way from bluegrass to jazz music could be counted as you know, right. southern music.
1: Right. And then you run into more, you can even make it more problematic with saying that New Orleans is in so many ways a southern town, but is also so many ways a northern Caribbean town and kind of what what's going on there. So I think what we're maybe arguing for, I don't want to speak for all of us, but that is that the saying the South is a lot more complicated than just one thing that you want it to be kind of a shorthand. I think that shorthand, like you said, David, is usually means rural, white, lower class. Right? Yeah. I think. In Appalachian, usually.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard a few people um, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure what the context was, but I heard a few people referring to themselves as hillbillies when they were not at all from Appalachia or even the Ozarks. They were just rural southerners. Do they the write term, any
1: uh, popular books about it?
2: <laughs> no, although um, uh, yeah. I understand those books do exist.
1: For yeah, the love of, we're
2: talking about for the love of winn Dixie, right?
1: <laughs> I don't even. Yes, yes, yes.
0: I looked um, up. No. Uh, I I did a Google search on what does it mean to be Southern, and oh, what Uh-oh. did I find? I found some things. Uh-huh. Um. Would you Were want they me to all read? jokes by Jeff Foxworthy? <laughs> you <laughs> well, might be a southerner I, if I can't tell. They might be jokes by um, the the number one the number this is the number one hit on Google was a guy's article from LinkedIn about right. as promised.
1: <laughs> That's where I go for all of my complicated issues is somebody's LinkedIn account. <laughs>
0: as, as promised, my take on what it means to be a to be southern. And he says, I know this might not be the forum for this, but hopefully it will be a short diversion and brighten your day. And plus give you a little insight into who I am and where I come from. And he goes on, What does being southern mean to you? Being Southern means a lot of different things to a lot of different folks. I think which is what we just said. Yeah. Do you say y'all? It. As in y'all y'all want to come over to the house for supper? Uh do y'all drink is he sweet tea? <laughs> And it it, kind of goes, it goes on from, it it degenerates from there.
1: (laughs) Into a LinkedIn Um, account, (laughs) into an actual LinkedIn account.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then I found another one about four hits down was, uh, (laughs) this is the best, what it means to be Southern, a fun list of some uniquely Southern experiences. Do you know what it means to be Southern? Do you know what it means when a Southerner flashes his headlights, gone to PC for spring break? Read our list and add yours in the comments.
1: Yes, I know what gone to PC for spring break means—that you go on a uh, like a fair housing tour uh, <laughs> where you ask everyone for their appropriate pronoun. Um, That's what it means. Uh, I go PC a lot for spring break as a uh, woke SJW.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and there's a list of some. Horrible. That's having spent at least one spring break in Panama City. I don't know if you knew that. Did West, you? Um, oh God! Remind me to reprimand you. <laughs> <laughs> we no, know I haven't. A- I, have, I have. I have not spent. <laughs> I have not spent one. So I guess I'm not Southern because I have not spent one spring break in Panama City. But you know City what? It, you Beach.
1: knew what it meant to say. Take oh, I D S. I was. So we were saying on destiny which is I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 It means you go to the Panama Canal. <laughs> <laughs> um, for a little little infrastructure, little infrastructure tour of the Panama Canal. That's what um, all Southerners do. So we can learn what infrastructure looks like when it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a pretty good list. I would say that that pretty much covers it. We're done. So, But I think the ones we kind of mentioned in there, one that always gets me is Oklahoma. Oklahoma's put in there a lot. And I'll admit I don't know anything about Oklahoma other than that I think Garth Brooks comes from there, possibly. Uh, But, like, I don't envision it as part of the South in any way, shape, or form. It's like Southwest, right?
2: Well, except that it's full of Cherokees who are pretty Southern.
1: Yeah, yeah, that my great-grandmother is from. Like, the, that shady borderland of the Arkansas-Oklahoma non-state right. area. Um, and then Missouri, I've been to Missouri, and Missouri didn't strike me as Southern at all. It struck me as very sensible Midwestern, but I can't put my finger on what that was.
0: Mm-hmm. What about Maryland? What about, like, that...
1: Now, that's one weird. that's weird, too, because Maryland was, I believe, like like, the center of like importing and selling enslaved peoples right and it has a lot of if you go to the eastern shore it feels a lot like the south but it's also super catholic but new orleans is Louisiana's as well and it's also part of like now like the eastern seaboard megalopolis so it's i don't know it's hard so i think what we're saying is like these yeah sorry go ahead
2: in the Civil War, it was a hugely important uh, center for resistance to the Union within the Union. And uh, Lincoln had to sneak in through uh, Baltimore, I guess it was, um, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of famously wrapped a shawl, uh, shawl around himself and was depicted in the popular press as being in drag to uh, uh, try— to, I can imagine Lincoln in drag uh, trying, to get, trying to get through Baltimore uh, without being noticed—
1: I'm actually working on a uh, play about that musical, but uh, it's going to be hip-hop, hip-hop musical, Lincoln and Drag. I think, I think I'm on to something. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I guess what we're saying is like you can't – it's really hard to define these borders, but they clearly do exist in some way. Like if I said, well, we can't define it, but Chicago is clearly the south, um, you would probably disagree, although there was a huge uh, right. immigration from – the south to part of chicago but anyway so i guess what we're going to stop with for now is that it's it's super hard to define and it's often used i don't want to say incorrectly but it's often used a little too broadly and i think a little too generically it can be misleading to just say this is about the south we're writing about the south and then move from there agreed agreed okay well agreed. there we go we're all agreed <clears throat> All right, so I wanted to move on to the next thing we're going to talk about today is this article that was in Politico, which I sometimes like and I sometimes think is horrible, but it was this week, this article called The Media Bubble is Worse Than You Think by Jack Schaefer and his colleague Tucker Doherty. Who Tucker Doherty with that name? He could be Southern. We don't know. If he was Tucker Doherty third, and everybody called him Trey, he would definitely be a Southerner. <laughs> Um, but so the reason I, I pointed this one out was because the reason we started talking about this stuff was <laughs> was that, and in part, like I was complaining a lot since the election about this talk about bubbles. We kept hearing about bubbles, bubbles, and, you know, well, liberals live in bubbles, and that's why this is this. And so I definitely, as someone who lives in the South, don't feel that I live in a bubble, and it kind of made me nuts after a while. But this article about the media bubble is, I think in some ways informative so what they did was take uh and as a social scientist this is enjoyable they take the bureau of labor statistics and cross-reference them against voting patterns and census data and show that where kind of the new media the internet media is located are in counties that not only vote democratic but vote like overwhelmingly democratic uh and so they kind of extrapolate from there some things that that they say are media bubbles did
0: either of you guys get a
1: chance to read this I did, yes. So, any thoughts?
0: No, I thought actually, I I really liked it, and I had read, you know, they uh, they referenced the Nate Silver piece that um, right, and I had read that originally, um, and that had kind of when we were talking about media bubbles, I had thought about looking that piece back up again, but I do, um, yeah, I like the statistics in it, and I like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but I found it. Um, yeah, interesting in that, well, they said that it goes beyond, like, Democrats and Republicans, but the thing they didn't mention that Nate Silver mentioned in his piece was um, the lack of diversity that, like, in the newsroom. I don't know, right. maybe they did mention it. I, they mentioned you know, it passed. briefly,
1: kind of as saying that's something that also has to be considered, but they didn't. I think it was one sentence they kind of mentioned it
0: briefly. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that most of the the Internet, I think it was the Internet jobs were in counties that had like the median like their median income was like sixty one right thousand dollars, which is like seven thousand dollars over over the median, right? Yeah, over the median. Yeah. Like I guess the the did I say that right, count the county income was, like the average income in their counties was seven at least seven thousand dollars over the national median income. Yeah. Um,
1: David, did you get a chance to look at it? I did. I um
2: but I have a, a few problems with it. One of them is that it's, um, it seems to kind of work from the assumption that you can't live in a city and know or say anything worth, uh, worthwhile or understand anything about people who don't live in cities, or that um, the media, I don't know, it's the idea the media shouldn't be based in major cities. Um, just to, to me, all of that seemed uh, sort of problematic. The other thing is, and this is a whole conversation about the bubble, the problem I have is the media says we got it totally wrong about uh, middle America, and we were wrong to get it totally wrong about all of middle America. So let's talk about ourselves and how and why we got it wrong instead of actually focusing on middle America. Instead, it's just a a mea culpa as a way to talk about themselves again and for that to be the the focus of the conversation. Because there's media being produced all over the country. You know, there's media out of every small town. There's small town newspapers. There's all the rest. But people like media from the big uh, cities. They like, um, you know, CNN for whatever reason. Uh, They like all different sorts of, um, they like Fox News. Uh, Fox News didn't get it right. And one other thing, I know I'm kind of going on a tear here, but one other thing is I don't think that it at all acknowledges how much that division is created by the media itself, that they create this version of middle America that was not strictly true of middle America before. Fox News did a huge made a huge change in the people that I know in my life who are conservatives. They're very different from conservatives from the ones that I grew up with. And I think that's because of the media, not in spite of the fact that the media has been ignoring them.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I think all that is true. And I think that's one of the weird things. I think that conservative media gets a pass on being media. So like yeah, we're not counting. Uh, Fox in this, right? We're not counting Breitbart in this. It doesn't seem like. Um, and and uh, also, like Fox is headquartered in New York, right? They point, they point out in here, Fox's headquarters are in Manhattan, right. right? So, and also, David, to go back to what you're saying, like, yes, I think this isn't where I was going to go with this, but since you bring it up, Fox has drastically changed, like, what conservatism is, because I remember... Uh, conservatives, I know growing up, we would they were really into watching Nova and Jacques Cousteau and reading National Geographic, right um, And they still like had issues with racism and kind of didn't like authority so much and probably didn't want to be taxed and and had a lot of ideals that were conservative, but they weren't um, aggressively rejecting kind of modern culture and science and things like that in an aggressive way that I think Fox has kind of weaponized them to feel isolated. And I think you're right. I think Fox and outlets like that have created this identity within them that tells them that they aren't part of the mainstream and and works to kind of divide them out from that.
0: Well, something I can, I mean, to go back to the article about, they talk mm-hmm. about how the, the shrinking of the newsroom and the shrinking right. of... Yeah. Local paper, and I can say just anecdotal evidence from like the Claiborne Progress. I remember growing up, you know, it wasn't like always breaking stories, but these were all local reporters or local columnists reporting on news in Claiborne County. But like the last, you know, like but I've noticed over the years, and I noticed very much recently that it's mainly you know AP article, you know, it's articles from the AP. Yeah, it's articles that have just been. Taken from the wire, um, you know, like nationally, like syndicated articles that have just been regurgitated. Well, I think and, it's cheaper. I think
1: they have the website template that all those local papers have, right? And I think they can probably get a feed, and so they don't need to hire local reporters really yeah. anymore. So there's get,
0: no like there's right. only like one or two local stories, and mm-hmm. they do the local sports rundown, and everything else is just national, like syndicated. I guess syndicated was the word I was looking for. Syndicated content. I've noticed the same thing with the middle sprawl paper. Um, I forget what it's, I don't know what the, the paper from Millsboro, Kentucky, but the same thing has happened to it where it's gradually become more and more less local and more syndicated.
2: Knoxville's doing the same thing. The new Sentinel just let um, a bunch of people go, including David Hunter, who's a friend of mine and also one of my favorite columnists and was writing as one of the the liberal voices, you know, in the region. And um, more and more they have content, from Nashville, the same way that uh, New Orleans lost to Times-Picayune. And um, what is it, the Advocate? Is that what's kind of taken its place?
1: Yeah, the Advocate, is was, was which was a Baton Rouge paper, but has uh, kind of taken over because the Times-Picayune has just been gutted.
2: Yeah, and, uh, you know, it went from a Pulitzer Prize winning multiple Pulitzer winning uh, Right. famous old school newspaper to a website with celebrity stuff on it. Um,
1: yeah, but, and uh, having its building sold off now, and it had cut back to like three issues a week and things like that.
2: And so, yeah, I suppose there's a certain amount of truth to um, the fact that just the the capital model for news is part of what's pushing it all together. It's not just that people have a taste for that, But most people would still rather read a story about Beyoncé than about their city council member.
1: Well, actually, Beyoncé's on the city council here, so... Uh, Well, you know, where there's a a choice. Um, Right. Sure. We have both. Um, But, yeah, and I think... I'm trying to even think what the paper's called in Fort Walton now. It's changed his name so many times. The, it used to be the Playground Daily News. But like their their website is almost it's called the Playground that's area is called the Playground Area. I know you, there's no reason you should know that. Um but they their website is so absolutely unreadable that I don't even bother looking at it anymore because it's mostly pop up ads. Yeah. It looks like when when Homer Simpson built his own website. Yeah. It looks like that. And I, I can't figure out how to read it, and so I just don't read it anymore. And I think part of that was just they were trying to figure out how to monetize a, a, you know, a failing industry. Um, and the Destin log is still published, but it's kind of so small. I think it's kind of just self-sustaining. I don't even know who works on it, but it still does. You know, like Charter Boat Captain lands big fish and stories like that.
0: Yeah. They really whittle down the, the log. <laughs> oh, okay. well I was thinking they took a hatchet they took southern. a hatchet to it yeah. Mm. yeah that's what it means to be southern whittling a log <laughs>
1: eating dirt whittling a log while rejoicing in your racism <laughs> stewing in it marinating in it if one will but so what I kind of wanted to do one angle I wanted to look at with this and there's a lot more going on in it But uh, was that, so this story was then relayed to the conservative press saying, see, they've admitted it, like, there's a liberal bubble. They're all stuck in this liberal bubble. But I kind of read it a different way, and I was kind of frustrated because I think these bubbles do exist to some degree, but it's not in the way that it's putting it out. It's that when you have, like, people concentrated in these certain, Areas like largely the Northeast and the West, they don't know how to report on, like, the absolute bullshit coming out of some Southern, like, politicians especially. And I think that's maybe what they missed with, like, Trump stuff and other stuff is that they take they take things seriously that they should know how to see through. Does that make sense? So, like, if you have an evangelical preacher, like, I grew up in a Baptist church, so I know when an evangelical preacher speaks, they're probably full of shit, right? That's just my base assumption. Um, Not that I don't like some of them, but I think uh, Willie Nelson has the great story that he told on Fresh Air that I love where he talked about singing in the juke joint on Saturday nights and singing in the church on Sunday mornings. And Terry Gross said, well, uh, you know, how did you kind of – work that like difference for audience he's like well it was the same people we just didn't admit it to each other Uh, (laughs) so so i think there's a lot of that missing and so this talks about like well how did big media miss the donald trump swell but my question is kind of like why are the media so bad at calling out this particular kind of hucksterism and i feel like a lot of these southern political figures that the media gives credence to uh, like are just so easy to see through and so laughable and you recognize them as these, these doofus archetypes uh, and that instead of treating them that way we treat them like, oh, this, this must be their honest culture they must be honestly feeling and experiencing these things rather than just seeing them as ridiculous
2: Well, yeah um, and it's not just that's not just Southern though I mean, you know, you find the anti-gay rights conservative who gets busted with a prostitute and crack, or in a bathroom soliciting sex or whatever, is a common trope that we go back to again and again. And everybody who was hunting for uh, Bill Clinton's head for um, cheating on his wife was cur- was at that time cheating on their wife. And uh, that level of hypocrisy is nothing new, but I think that maybe it's gone so far beyond the personal now that there's, um, um, you know, did, does Donald Trump mean anything? Does Donald Trump mean anything that he says? I don't know. I don't even know if he understands what he's saying half the time. He's just saying whatever comes into his head. And maybe that's a natural outgrowth of what you're talking about, where there's uh, not much accountability um, for hypocrisy. It takes you to the point where, if your words don't mean anything, it doesn't. It eventually, gets to where it doesn't make any difference if they mean anything, even to you.
1: Right. So let me. Uh, sorry to keep in order, but so I think maybe what I was trying to say was that I think that these, the bubbles they're talking about here, possibly you don't have that many journalists who are from the South or from the rural South or especially from like lower class backgrounds. I think there's a huge class bubble that they're not talking about in this. That those people go into journalism and are able to write about these issues. And so when someone is... This kind of southern good old boy character, they don't recognize that as, oh, that's the doofus from my hometown who just like talks like that. And everyone uh-huh. lets him do it because they're just tired of listening to him. And it's like, oh, whatever. Let, let him go on. Or that when the preacher gets up there and says, like, I really care about, uh, you know, gay people not having rights. They don't say you don't really think that we all know. You, (laughs) we all know you are. You know, and to not take these these people seriously, and I think they're given way too much credence because they're seen as the other, and that oh, in the in the South, people really deeply believe in these things, rather than this is another bullshit artist, just as if they were out of the city.
2: I don't know. I hope that you are not wrong in that, but I think an awful lot of people in rural communities do by that, and you know, I, I think that a lot of, to the degree that they really think it through, I think a lot of them, for example, really thought, when they said Donald Trump is a flawed vessel, but God is using him, that they really, truly believe that, and I think that, you know, the same thing could be said of their preacher or whatever, that, um, 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 A lot of people in the South are, and in rural culture and just in general, a lot of people are capable of holding two completely separate set of values and understandings in their head and acting on the self-serving one and talking about the community-based and selfless one and and, uh,
1: religious one. Yeah, Chad, anything about that?
0: I want to say, I mean, I, I, I agree. i I agree with more with uh, West. I think maybe I, maybe I see the good in people a little bit more, but, <laughs> but, um, or maybe I don't. Maybe I don't see the good in people, but, um, but, but they, but you don't. I think you don't get the diverse. There's, I mean, I like the voices are not as diverse in some places that there's people are reported that the New York Times might be reporting on in the South, but. You don't get the diverse voices. Like you don't get the you get the evangelical preacher. You don't get the the guy from the liber, the quota the more the the more liberal like Baptist church right. where they let you wear blue jeans. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and right. You know. Well, that's they true. Have the contemporary service. Maybe
2: they should get more people who don't have college degrees working at the New York Times.
0: Well, I think really journalism used to be that, right? <laughs>
2: like,
1: yeah, journalism used to be kind of like a working class pursuit. Right? It was like a trade where people like worked up through it. Well, that's right? true. Like My would, father
2: was a man. he never graduated from college.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's some I think there's a huge class component to it now cuz I know just anecdotally again like media younger media kind of internet media we have a lot of that in new orleans and stuff and a lot of people were people who went to really nice high schools and went to an ivy league school and then could take an unpaid internship at a decent magazine or newspaper and that's how they got into the business and i don't even mean that as an insult a lot of them are really good writers and really good journalists it's just that's the way you get into the industry now i agree yeah as you you take the internship um which, which in, you know, most people can't afford in to do. Lots and lots of
2: industries. That's not just the newspaper industry. That's also in politics, um, uh, big oh, law sure. offices, all different sorts of um, um, businesses in the U.S. Now have a sort of class barrier that is determined by the unpaid internship.
1: Yeah, and I was even thinking about with this article. You might remember, Chad. You probably remember, like back when Air America first started. Um, and I remember I was in Japan, and I was so happy because when I've been in America, you know, there was no left-wing radio yeah. forever, right? It was Rush Limbaugh, and then like Jim Hightower was out. And I remember Jim Hightower was the only left-wing radio in America. And the only time I could find him was driving from Tuscaloosa to Memphis at this one corner of Mississippi. I could pick up a show for about fifteen minutes on the radio. And I would actually like write down what station that was and look forward to it. I get like 15 minutes of like left wing radio. <laughs> and also there's the same like Ch- Chattanooga had like one left wing political station that I would get. Driving through like once a year, and that would be it and other than that, I would listen to like the Dr. Dina Dell show because he thought that uh marijuana should be legal and that was like the most left wing you could find on the radio so like when Air America came out, I was super excited and I liked it a lot, but everyone almost everyone on there was like northeastern I think for the most part yeah. um it was very kind of new york centric ish uh And so it it seemed to me like a lot of, like, voices that I like and people are interested in, but a lot of people who are, like, kind of already friends outside of that and kind of had the same social circles and were, like, talking about the same stuff. And I didn't hear that much diversity of opinion, which was
0: disappointing to me. Yeah, like, I mean, that was one of the complaints with Air America Radio. I mean, there was no—they just said the same thing over and over again, the same way Rush— Limbaugh said the same thing over and over again. It was just something that you could agree with that they were saying over and over again. Well, and that's still... I Chuck D would show up. I think that's
2: still true of um, political broadcasting across the spectrum now. I get tired of listening to political shows in general because of the level of, uh, of just repetition of the same story over and over. I remember when Rachel Maddow was doing Bridgegate... Um, Yeah, It just went on and on And I knew that she was wanting to make sure That she made the point She wanted to keep hammering it Until it became a national news story And make sure that um, uh, Chris Christie Kind of uh, wasn't fully investigated And that the heat was turned up But that's when I quit watching her regularly Was just because it was the same story every night
1: yeah, I've sadly I've kind of given up on MSNBC lately, and it's not anything they did. It's just yeah, it's like I okay, I know what you guys are going to talk about. I don't
0: know. And I I thought of, I guess I've thought of this while re um, the reading this article and about how yeah that we that I I'm more prone to read yeah like the New York Times or the Atlantic or. But that we, people people don't read more diverse, you know, people don't read things that are uh, counter to their opinion which is I think something I've kind of picked up on uh, in Chapo Trap House like something they do, that they read, that they're pretty I mean they're a lot more well versed in like the what goes on at the New Republic and things right. like that. Than,
1: which I think um, the left should totally do, like I think we should know what the other people are talking about, it seems to me
2: My father, I think uh, not because of his politics, he was pretty much a lefty, although with a lot of um, uh, objectionable ideas. But um, he got uh, magazines and newspapers from all the way across the spectrum. So I grew up in a house full of, um, you know, The New Republic and uh, uh, Utney Reader and... um, you know, Bill Buckley and uh, uh, everybody across the, kind of across the spectrum in major news. And back in those days, when I was little bitty, back in the 60s, um, I think maybe still most American cities had a morning and an evening paper, and very often one was a Democrat leaning and one was Republican leaning.
1: Yeah, there's a lot out about that, about how, like, the towns used to have the partisan newspapers, and now we don't even have, like, town newspapers. We have regional conglomerates and national conglomerates. Yeah, my my dad, who's the most conservative person I know who doesn't think enough people got shot at Attica, he, uh, (laughs) the magazines we got when I was little were National Geographic and, like, the Audubon Society. So Mm -hmm. something has definitely changed in the world of conservatism. All right. Well, so that's that's a very interesting conversation. And I wanted to move from that into kind of being kind of more ex- – talking about more explicitly political stuff. Hey, explicit and political. Awesome. Explicitly political stuff than we did last time talking about S-Town. But talk about – so if, if we're talking about politics in the South um, – What kind of waves do you see in the area that you're you you you're from that like kind of progressives or democrats could make more inroads than they have? I'm assuming that they don't have inroads. Is that a correct assumption?
2: Well, not strictly. Um, Yeah. Okay. So
1: talk about that.
2: In Knox County, um, Mm but Knox County is very conservative. But Knoxville, the city, is liberal. Uh, relatively liberal, you know, for a mid-south city, a Tennessee city. uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, sometime I'd like us to do a whole show just on the most ridiculous right-wing legislation that uh, Tennessee has tried to pass, and mostly East Tennessee politicians trying to do it, but not strictly. But Knoxville itself, I mentioned last time, I think, has uh, uh, a woman liberal mayor And uh, is a pretty liberal uh, small city.
1: And I think that's on our basement tapes. Where you mentioned that on the missing basement tapes.
2: But yeah, (laughs) uh, and about how uh, yeah, she lit up the bridge uh, in rainbow colors when gay marriage passed, and uh, had them lighted up purple for when Prince died, and um, uh, you know, is sort of plugged into mainstream culture, is not afraid to. Uh, and has a base that allows her to express socially and politically liberal ideas. Uh, We also have had some really despicable people uh, elected from uh, East Tennessee, Uh, probably most famously Stacy Campfield, who's uh, a name to conjure with, I guess, in uh, 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 political circles in Tennessee, but got a certain amount of uh, national fame for a lot of anti-gay stuff that he did and so 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 maybe the thing is is just that I think maybe one of the things is that too many uh, southern liberals go Mm. north, go west or go to Atlanta, New Orleans um, where else in the south do liberals go? Boulder, Uh, Colorado Nashville yeah Nashville, Asheville Asheville, North Carolina, Yeah. yeah And, um, you know, I don't... Richmond. I don't blame them. I find it hard to live in uh, the ultra, ultra conservative uh, part of Tennessee where I have a house.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of the... Not to take it back all the way, but part of the bubble conversation is like, these things are not... Like, it makes it sound like, oh, liberals live in bubbles because they... You know, they, it's just kind of this choose-to, they don't really like being around these other kind of people. It's like, well, sometimes, oftentimes you're being threatened by those other people, right? That they don't, they're making it very clear they don't want you to be there.
2: Reminds um, me of when I uh, saw in, I can't remember if it was Kingsport or Johnson City newspaper, mm-hmm. they were publishing pictures of all the gay guys who had been arrested for having sex in the park. And they were putting big pictures like a whole page where they were doing these stings, these roundups. And the whole idea to me of ostracizing people sort of, if not explicitly criminalizing their behavior, making it so socially unacceptable that you push them out to the outer boundaries of the society and then humiliating them for being on the outskirts
1: of society. You know, and making... this was 1954, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, thereabouts. It was just a few decades after that, um, oh, okay. about <laughs> about 50 or so. But um, it was um, a, an example of how hard it is to live in uh, the rural South if you don't fit in, you know. And that's not a, a political stance in that particular case. But uh, you were talking last week about the guy who they would lock out of the meetings because they <laughs> stood up and said things that they didn't like and sort of being locked out is a big part of it and if you end up fleeing to an urban center uh, if you end up living in Brooklyn or somewhere um, uh, it's not really surprising and if you carry with you a certain amount of negative feelings about uh, the town that ran you out maybe that's not so surprising either
1: Right. So would you have any, like, uh, if you were trying to, like, run, give advice to a candidate running in, I guess, Rockford (laughs) to try to get any, a Democratic candidate or a leftist candidate, like, is there any kind of advice about how they could run there that would help them? Uh, Well, there's
2: a certain last name that it's really good to have if you're running for anything in Rockford. Yeah but, uh, or maybe running.: Al- against Alcoa. That, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> running against that um, uh, last name would be good, uh, uh, just for a change. But um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that it's, it's just so much easier to go low on these things. I was listening today to some NPR show, as I'm prone to do and there was a guy talking about uh, running, I guess for, was it Eric Cantor's seat? And about how he tried talking about uh, taxes, and he tried talking about one thing and another, but uh, using the word amnesty, and talking about race in this sort of coded language, that that's just what got him coverage, that's what got enthusiasm for him, that's what got him contributions, and all the rest, no. and it's really hard to run against an electorate that is thirsty to um, get rid of the code words and just be a flat-out racist, or get rid of uh, all of the uh, sort of trappings of civilized discourse and make it
1: us against them. Yeah, well, so Chad, what's kind of the political climate like in in Tazewell? Like, is there, what is that like? Well,
0: it is it, highly conservative. Surprise! Like, spoiler alert. Um, but actually, recently the may uh, the mayor of Taswell was elected, and he came to my dad's funeral, and he was telling me like we had this long conversation because I went to I went to high school with his son, um, and he just that he was like he was. He hurt, like, he got a, like, he did some sort of, like, they did a rush, like, inauguration to where he was inaugurated into office so he could try to, the, I guess, pro-Trump, some of the pro-Trump, like, administration, the people that were the pro-Trump politicians, like, he was really, he's really anti-Trump, and so he was going to try to clean house on some of these pro-Trump people that were in City Hall while he's still, you know, while sort of, like, in this hurried-up inaugural Term And I know there's a lot of people that actually there's a lot of young people that are involved in the local politics like where I that I grew up with and went to high school with and some of them are, you know, ultra conservative and very conservative, but some of them are not so conservative. like Some of them are more moderate. I wouldn't call them liberal, but they're definitely moderate. So that's kind of the the climate in Texas because a lot of a lot of the old taswell guard is probably a lot of the older politicians are starting to fade away and some of the older political families are dying out so that's kind of leaving room for new people to come up so
1: well so is there a way there like do you see for like a democratic candidate or a candidate more on the left like run for
0: office there I think so. If they could, you know, if they could like appeal to farmers, and they could appeal, and I, I guess we, this was in the after show, we talked about this in the after show uh, last so week, David in, all and All the I, basement tapes. In the basement tape. Uh, but mm-hmm. in my, like in Taswell there's a large, I don't know, a large, but there's a substantial uh, population of African American farmers uh, in the community, mm-hmm. and kind of working on bridging like working on those connections the connections at the African American farm or the descendants of the African American farm cuz a lot of the families are starting to break out of the farm you know the kids my age are leaving the farm but if if they could convince them to to stay and and kind of find something for tobacco farmers to do like all the tobacco all the people that worked you know the the factory like it's like a Bruce Springsteen song the factory's closing the debusque medical packaging facility is, you know, cutting shifts and England furniture manufacturing is cutting shifts. And so those are the two big places for people to work. And the only other place is on the farm. And the the really like a a lot of a big money maker was tobacco, like when I was growing up, but Mm -hmm. yeah that's all like the tobacco farms are all I mean, people still raise tobacco but Well don't make a whole lot of money. It's
2: really interesting to me that farmers aren't generally further to the left than they are because it's an industry that is so much subsidized by federal money uh, through the Department of Agriculture, through the Food Stamp Program, one thing, another, the uh, Soil Bank, one thing, another, uh, that way, too. Also, it relies a lot... I don't know about uh, up in Taswell, but most of East Tennessee agriculture relies a lot on undocumented workers. Oh yeah, yeah totally. And yes. um, uh, sort of normalizing and finding a way to make undocumented workers um, um, an, a legitimate part of their business, seems like that should be high on their agenda, and also making sure that prices are maintained in a stable way with subsidies and one thing or another should be high up on their agenda. And yet most of the farmers I know from rural East Tennessee are super conservative and believe that the government does nothing but bad stuff.
1: Except for pay them.
2: Well, no, they don't even really acknowledge, you know, that's sweat money, like a, like the coal miners. It's like, well, I have worked in my life, therefore... The, I right. have this that money coming to me. me, exactly, and other people my check. apparently haven't.
1: Right, so I was kind of thinking about this this week, and I'm going to put on kind of my uh, social scientist hat for the first one, but I've been thinking it's kind of this, this overarching narrative about neoliberal urbanization, sorry to get boring, uh, hasn't been translated in kind of a democratic politics way, and I think the the right with Fox News and Limbaugh and Breitbart have done it very well without like saying those words explicitly but they've kind of taken everything that people don't like about modern society and urbanization and, and kind of blamed it on forces outside of what it really is and this is a kind of a big request but I think that if the left in America could kind of come up with a better narrative about neoliberal urbanization and so I should kind of quickly point out, neoliberal is a very problematic word and used lots of different ways. I don't mean like new Democrat or third-way Democrat, but I mean like a market-based, priority on market-based economies with like the government is supposed to subsidize and kind of provide the structure for these market-based economies without putting regulations on it, right? And so I think you hear people on the right, and I hear a lot of people in the South complain about kind of the effects of neoliberalism, but they don't have any kind of words for it or any kind of consistent narrative. And I think if, especially where I'm from, if you could start putting a narrative around overdevelopment, like you could, I don't know if you'd win, but you would start having people listen to you in a way that I don't think the Democratic Party does very well. Um, So, yeah. And I was going to, like, I often think about, like, when... We talk about, like, guns. Like, I think um, a lot of candidates in the South try to run by saying, well, I'm in the NRA, too, or I also like guns. I also like hunting. Um, And they're kind of scared to push back about the NRA. And the other choice you're given is to push back really hard on the NRA and say, like, why don't you care about this, this, and this? And I, you know, I despise the NRA as much as anybody. But I wonder why you don't try running on a message. Like, for me, so I can still... I can't hunt the places I did when I grew up, but it has nothing to do with any government regulations. It has to do with the fact that there's subdivisions on everywhere that I grew up hunting, or they've been fenced off for the paper company. So I always wonder why don't we don't talk about, like, uh, it's not the government that's taking your guns. It's the developers who are taking your hunting lands. Or the same with oysters. Like we used to be able to get oysters out of everywhere, and now we can't because of golf course runoff has killed all the oysters. But we don't talk about it in those terms. That overdevelopment for the tourist economy has killed oysters. So you can't go out and get oysters anymore. But it's kind of put into, oh, you know, these modern times are changing. And that's immediately put off into being a conservative argument.
2: Well, I think that um, uh, that's more, that you see a lot more of that. On the Gulf Coast, because you have more development than we have in East Tennessee. Uh, yeah, East Tennessee, we have farm runoff, uh, but also it all runs; it all just keeps on running downhill until it's not our problem anymore. Um, we have had some. <laughs> yeah, we have yeah, had. It's some, our problem. Thank you. Uh, we've had some issues in um, up in the mountains where North Carolina has much more lax. Laws about um, uh, dumping and fresh water, and one thing and another, and there are companies that dump uh, tons of industrial runoff just on the other side of the state line, and it runs straight into Tennessee. And there were a lot of lawsuits back and forth about that at one time, at one point. And actually, I think that this, those same, I think they're paper companies, and I think that the last governor of North Carolina. Um, uh, Got into a fair amount of trouble over uh, just I'm trying to remember the specifics of the case, but it had to do with uh, uh, poisons that were produced by um, uh, paper companies. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up maybe for next time or for some other time. But uh, but yeah, so in East Tennessee, I don't see those. They're not as pressing immediately to. Um, and to the people right there, and if we've learned anything from the global warming conspiracy, or the conspiracy theories and one thing or another, it's that unless your child is, unless your own personal child is dying, then it's all just made up in a lot of people's minds, especially if it's going to take a dollar out of their pocket to fix
1: the problem. That just got really sad there really quick. Uh... Yeah, and I, so just—I think we'll probably come to back to all this at some point. But just, like, the end on this, I would say my other point would be, if, everywhere in the South, just campaign for Medicare for all instead of instead of uh, trying to sell, like, all of these, like, schemes to make insurers work better. I think just going all out for Medicare for all in these areas would probably be effective.
0: Or just I think anything other than we're not Republicans I think would be a better—
1: Right, right. Or we're We'd we're— yeah, we're going to do Republican light and, and hope for the best. Because I think, the, the at least where I'm from, though, the worst thing you can be is kind of like lukewarm on all this stuff, right? Here's, so right. at least at least lose uh, standing up, guys. Um, so let's move on from that real quick. And we oh, are If running... I can say real oh, yes. quick, it's Duke no, Energy no, yes. uh, did a coal ash spill, third largest oh, yeah. of its
2: kind in uh, the U.S., and oh, yeah, Pat matches. McCrory, the governor of North Carolina, who had worked for them for 28 years. Um, and um, critics said that his administration intervened and um, uh, settled lawsuits over environmental those, violations and helped to cause Those it. critics. So that's, well, what, that's my gov- what that was all about.
1: My governor is Rick Scott, so I can't say anything.
2: Yeah, well.
1: It's weird that I have to move to Louisiana to take a step up in governor's. Um, All right, so before we finish this week, I want to get to this completely garbage piece in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the once-great Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Did you get a chance to look at this?
2: Yes. Absolute
1: garbage piece. (laughs) called the title, On the Red Line, A Daily Racial Transformation on MARTA. And I don't know if people are aware, but MARTA has been kind of a stand-in for Atlanta racial politics for a long time long time. And so it's this a, is part of like a new... S-
2: Metro Atlanta yeah. Rapid Transit Authority. It's the subway or t- yes. or light rail, basically, for Atlanta.
1: Yes. And when I was growing up and going to Atlanta, it had a lot of racist nicknames that people put on yes. it. Um, You're probably thinking of them right now. But mm-hmm. this article, the funny thing is it's part of their new re, re, uh, colon race reporting project. Which is dedicated to covering both the tensions and the opportunities created by racial <laughs> and ethnic exchange in Atlanta and Georgia. Um, and my favorite is just his uh, kind of byline here is Melton Bennett, comma, Coming. So I hope this is where he's from and not his current status. Uh,
2: he's from Cumming, Georgia, yep, uh, county seat of Forsyth County.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here, I'm just going to, this is pretty short, so I'm just going to read through it and, and, uh, Comment, comment where you may. Okay? Here's here's Melton Bennett coming. Uh, taking the MARTA train from the mostly white northern suburbs down to the airport captures a cross-section of the racial makeup and divide that exists in Atlanta. Wait, wait. As my f- can,
2: yes, I, can I interject there? Yes, please. I, Forsyth County is not um, the mostly white northern, uh, northern suburb. It's uh, the scene of a lot of civil rights protests, one thing and another. They basically burned out every black family in 1912 and when I knew people who lived in the area in the uh, 80s there still were no uh, African Americans living in Forsyth County I think there might be a few families there but it was a sundown city which was to say a place where they actually literally had signs that said that if you were black you needed to not be in that county after sundown So it's uh, just to give a little bit more context than the mostly (laughs) Uh white suburbs. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, Yes. As my fellow white passengers and I pull out of North Spring Station, we add more white passengers at the next few stations as we pull toward Buckhead. As we enter the heart of the city, African-Americans begin entering the train. And at five points, the racial makeup of the train has flipped to predominantly African-American. Yeah cuz you're you're driving you're riding a MARTA train into the heart of one of the you know the heart of the new south which is a majority african american thriving city so i would imagine that would happen um okay he continues. I watch as the African American passengers entering the train look for seats next to other African Americans, and I watch white passengers seek out other white seatmates. I see the uncomfortable looks of white people who think the black kid dressed like a gang member is going to sit next to mm-hmm. them. And then this, I believe,
2: says by. sharks or jets on the back. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, he's dressed
0: just, like just uh, like Tony Soprano. <laughs> and he's like, hey, forget about it. <laughs> he's, he's picking up the garbage. That's I'm just collecting
1: garbage. I'm just a jar of gar- sanitation collector. He's probably wearing like a Braves jersey. He's wearing like a Braves Dale Murphy jersey. <laughs> Look at this gang member. He's a Mormon. Um, okay. Oh, this guy. I mean, also, like, uh, he sees African-American passengers looking for seats next to other African-Americans. I imagine that's like 90% of the train. It's a MARTA going through Atlanta. Like, chances are. Anyway that's like riding a train in Tokyo saying the Japanese people seem to sit next to each other. Anyway. Uh, mostly it is then that I notice differences between the people who joined me at my embarkation and the people who have joined in the city. It's not uncommon for me to watch an impromptu hip-hop performance try train checks <laughs> <tricks> out. Lucky. <laughs> a, performance, a performance replete with phrases about violence, sex, and race.
2: An outcast reunion. <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, he he was yeah. Uh, he's in the dungeon. He's so in the dungeon. yeah, the, the Andre Three
2: Thousand is what he—that's what he means by dressed like a gangster, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <That's what> the, <laughs> Andre with like a cane and, uh, and a top hat, some, and
1: like gourmet vegetarian yeah. <laughs> food, is strolling through the car. And big boys like walking like uh, five pit bulls down the aisle. <laughs> so yeah, really, he just took the MARTA train to the dungeon family. Player, Player's ball. Um, okay. And, yeah. Yeah. He's got... They're thinking hip-hop about violent sex and race. Fortunately, they're not singing rock and roll music about, you know, going to church. All right. Um, the language changes. With, with poor grammar and offensive profanity being expelled by these groups of passengers, speaking loudly to be heard by everyone, almost as if they must exhibit some cultural difference to a captive audience to make sure they are seen and
0: heard. As opposed to non-offensive profanity,
1: <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> writing is also bad. We should point out the
0: writing is also pretty bad. Uh,
1: he used embarkation in a sentence. <laughs> I try to use non-offensive profanity as much as possible. <laughs> but wad. <laughs> um, but you know, like they're speaking. <laughs> he's worried that the people are speaking loudly to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> on a crowded train I like the train where they're all whispering in each other's ears <laughs> this is the creek train to nowhere <laughs> uh, if they, as if they must exhibit some cultural difference like maybe you're just a weirdo on the train and maybe you're just I witnessing
2: everyone a, be quiet. a cultural difference and it's not a performance for you it's actually right. just people living their lives Right. It's not from the prompt hip hop performance.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, he continues. The behavior can seem aggressive, with the occasional comment from one of the African Americans Man, we got to chill. These crackers don't like that expletive.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's non offensive. Um, uh, I, 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 I wonder if he really uses the word expletive, because that's not offensive. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, man, we gotta chill. Um, he says, "I absolutely feel like an outsider. No doubt, there is nothing I can say. There is nothing I can do." <laughs> I don't- What's he going to do? What's he going go to do? Stop, gets your yeah, stop your expletives. <laughs> Everyone f-
0: please whisper.
1: For the love yeah. of God. <laughs> I feel that the grammar level on this train has descended since we left Buckhead. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the first time someone ever said, like, the further we get away from North Georgia, the worse the grammar gets. You know,
0: so.
1: <laughs> Oh Jesus! Just imagine a martyr ran north.
0: (laughs) All those people in Buckhead are talking about going to PC for spring break.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Two more paragraphs. Um, There's the poor. What's his name? Poor, poor Melton Bennett. There's nothing he can do here on the 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 dungeon family train car martyr reunion. Okay. (laughs) Uh, inside, comma inside, I want to tell them that we are all alike. That sharing constructive conversations and experiences is what builds a bridge to understanding. The hardcore profanity, the unsavory references to females, and the derogatory names for white people just force the bridge to be longer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's appropriate. He just wants everybody to be alike, sharing a constructive (laughs) conversation, whispering to each other on the Marta train.
2: Whispering constructive conversation is all they do up in Forsyth County. (laughs) Hey, hey guys,
1: leave, leave the city (laughs) before it gets dark. Uh, Okay, here we go. Of course, this does not represent all African-Americans in the city or even on the train. then why write the fucking article, man? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? You should make that concession at the beginning. Uh, Anyway, in the city or even on the train, but this is not an uncommon experience on my Marta journey. As I trek down the city, I see the racial differences, see the divides, hear the pain in the rap songs and conversations. (laughs) (laughs)
0: impromptu impromptu rap hip hop performance Uh, uh,
1: I wish you know I, I remember the last few times I've been on the MARTA one this guy sat really close next to me and talked about being a veteran and how many people he killed in Southeast Asia uh, and about how now he'd found a new life and a spiritual awakening, and he really wanted to share it with me. And I would have given anything to have an impromptu hip hop performance at that moment <laughs> <laughs> than this this white guy talked, the, speaking to me quietly. Or at least an unsavory reference to a female. Yeah, female. definitely. Well, this is one of the guys who's like, oh, you just flew in from Japan. Um, I remember when I murdered Vietnamese people. Um, and then That's the time unsavory. before. That was unsavory. And then the time before that I was on the MARTA on New Year's Eve and somebody killed themselves in front of the train. And so everyone was really upset that someone would kill themselves when they were trying to get somewhere for New Year's Eve. Again an impromptu hip hop performance would have been great. Okay. Are you ready (laughs) for an
2: alternative. Not like in the same moment.
1: Oh no, I wanted an impromptu one (laughs) about the suicide on New Year's. so the last sentence, the classic closing sentence. As the train crosses Auburn Avenue, I often wonder what MLK Jr. would like to have experience on the MARTA train in 2017. <laughs> Probably not being assassinated by
0: racists. He's racist. like, oh my God, I'm alive. <laughs> what is this machine now? I'm alive, <laughs> I'm alive in the future.
1: Oh, God. Melton. Mel- Melton Bennett. Who's
0: this dunce? Who's this dunce trying to make everybody whisper on the train?
2: <laughs> he probably would have been saying, thank God this train had not headed north.
1: <laughs>
2: because yeah, the sun's you going down, and I'm headed feature. towards Forsyth County. <laughs> Come back Give from the, the airport. dead just in
1: time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I'm alive in the future, and Melton Bennett wants me to whi- whisper. <laughs> 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 ah, Melton Bennett, comma, coming. Oh, man. And then under this, it says, uh, the re-race project will officially launch on Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> you just <laughs> launched. Wow, what a launch. Oh, Still my.
0: Cold open. <laughs> Oh, this is really
1: bad. Uh, anyway, you wonder how they got got through that. I mean, but Rick Cajun would be would be proud.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder what Rick Cajun would have to say about it. Well, I had a
1: new Rick Cajun thing for you guys, but I think I'll save it for next week. But it was all about uh, how he just discovered the Man Act, and so he thinks that there was white slavery until 1910. <laughs> <laughs> So sadly, Rick Cajun is not on Twitter, but he's all over Facebook. So if you want to hang out and look at Rick Cajun. Also, he said he put up a picture of um, Jazz Fest. It says New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Like, what a weekend to destroy your heritage. It's like, Rick, I don't know if you know, but like, uh, like statues about the Confederacy and Jazz Fest are probably slightly different versions of heritage. One being much better than the other one.
2: Apparently, um, uh, conservatives get around the Man Act by adopting their 17 year old girlfriends, um, or at least if they're uh, Ted Nugent
1: yeah the new I thought that was a nuge uh,
2: that's, that's, a that's how he managed to uh, get around the Man Act, which says you can't uh, transport a minor across state lines for uh, oh ele- I, I know for what an, it says Be believe, <laughs> <I know> <laughs> believe me, I know what the
1: man Act says. <laughs> For illicit <laughs> language or purposes. Yeah. I try to schedule all my relationships around the man act. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, rip Chuck Berry. Rest in power. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the man act. All right. Well, anyway, we're over time. So I think that's going to be uh, all for this week. I will uh, talk to you guys next week. Thanks. All right. Thanks. I regret nothing. Right. <laughs> As you should. Over and out. Over and out. Melton Cummings.
0: <laughs>